may I say that's a privilege, not a right. Bingo. And what we're starting to see is because of this mass media machine that puts all of these lifestyles yeah. up on the pedestal. I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm, I'm entitled to it. Yes. Yes. And so I do believe a big slug of the trillion dollars in credit card debt comes from that. People trying to live a lifestyle they haven't earned. People trying to live a lifestyle. I think some of it is also the boomerang after COVID. Oh, yeah. Like, screw it. I'm going to live life. Mm. I'm going to travel. I'm going to eat out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Right? Did you know that I have three really complicated relationships in my life? With me, myself, and I? Close. My relationship with money, my relationship with people, and my relationship with self. And they're all connected together because when my relationship with money got out of whack, it totally had an impact on those other relationships. That, my friend, is what we call having financial sobriety. So who are you? I'm Matthew Grishman. Who are you? Jim Gebhardt. And we're a couple of financial advisors trying to have an untraditional conversation about our favorite topic, money. Let's go. Oh, I am so grateful to be back in studio. Isn't that with nice? You. Yeah, yeah, this is nice. This is nice. This is nice. I just, I love just sitting on a here. hot summer day. Just, we can come in here and do just, our Bikram yoga and, yeah, and kibitz. Kibitz, exactly. I just, we should walk around permanently with microphones and cameras, just capturing our kibitzing because it's good. According to your mom, that's not good. That's good, not good enough. Well, she would say it's, it's good, great. It's good, not great. It's great, not good. I think it's great. Okay. I love our kids. I'm happy for you. I'm grateful we're here today. Hey, speaking of gratitude, what yeah. are you what's what else is on the gratitude list? Grateful to be back in studio live with you, of course. Also grateful that it's back to school season. And it's <sighs> one of your favorite times of year, as I recall. It used to be uh the biggest one of the biggest anxiety times of year for me. August. Interesting, because for us, it was always T-minus, when do the kiddos go back to school? That, because, yeah. and I quote, yeah. love my wife, love my wife, and I quote, the saying of all sayings I'll never forget, summer sucks the life out of me. Sure. Right? There's my gratitude, is that it's finally done. I have two adult young men who do not rely on mom and dad to help them with back-to-school season. I am so grateful that we don't have that. They have back anymore. to pilot season. They have back to back to new car season. They exactly. have back to the mountain season. Yeah, there's all sorts of other stuff. But we no longer have to get caught up in this whole back to school melee. I would imagine you and Beth, you still have two running around school a little bit. How many different pair of Air Jordans did we consume? It is. I don't know why it's a simpler process, but the back to school. And I, this and this could be really sexist with a boy thing, girl thing. But with the boys, there really isn't a tremendous amount of back-to-school shopping for clothes. I mean, they wear shorts and T-shirts. Okay. Right? So this is stuck with me, and I got to go back to it. This is not a boy-girl thing because your boys are fathered by uh, the man who owns more quarter zips and golf shirts than anyone else I know. God, God bless him. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it's a boy-girl thing. Your your boys have the predisposition to be clothes horses. The back the back to school really wasn't that. Was it with your girls? Cuckoo this year. I remember it being a little bit more demanding, engaging. Yeah, more of a process than than this. 
So, I mean, I, my gratitude, uh, thanks for asking, is absolutely <laughs> to be here in studio and to – I still struggle with school starting so darn early. Yeah. I, I'm just – I'm an old school, labor, you know, Labor Day, the Monday, Tuesday, you know, Tuesday after Labor Day kind of thing. Well, we'd still be out in the fields helping our parents till the crops and uh, true. harvest. True. Uh, right. Syracuse, New York has a lot of that. Actually, yeah. it does have some farming as you get out in the uh, – in the hinterlands. Absolutely. This back-to-school season was kind of a, a little bit of a blip. wasn't a biggie. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a lot of things, but that's that's on the subject of. Have you and Beth ever felt or your children ever brought home this energy of we got to have these oh, certain yeah. things Come for back-to-school, like the whole FOMO thing? 100%. Like if, if I don't have this new backpack, these shoes, this pencil set, this sure. trapper keeper. Sure, then I'm going to be a loser and my friends are going to make fun of me and the laugh at me. The and comparison game has certainly been around. You have had that. We have had that. Tell me more. Uh, well, I'd have to remember it. Uh, I do try <laughs> to flush. I try to flush a lot of that. Yeah. But did no, you I feel mean, it I, this year at all? Did no, the boys? I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't. The boys are, I would say they have come out of the COVID consequence. Mm. They're out of their shells, if you will, in terms of how retracted they were during COVID. And maybe giving a few less shits than they were before. I think, I think from some a comparison of it, standpoint, I think some of it is give less shits, but I think also some of it is just a little bit more comfortable in their own skin. Mm. A little bit, a little bit, and that's all we're looking for is a little bit. Sure, progress, right? At sixteen and fourteen, we don't. We're not. We're not looking for you know miles of progress. We're looking for you know millimeters of progress. So if we look back two or three years at where Jack and Grant were, oh boy, relative to where they are today. As I've How said we doing? many times, probably on this show as well as with our clients, I think, I think the barbells of life were the most affected during COVID, the young and the old, from a life standpoint. And I'm using that at 10,000 feet, right? You and me in our middle age, we miss a couple of years. Yeah, it's not great, but holy, we'll get back on track. Holy smokes, you're 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, and you miss two years, or you're 82, 84, 86, 88, and you missed two years. Those those are much more monumental. Hey, I'm making a glorious assumption that we have all the time we need, right? right? And this could be our final episode for all the hell we know. Right. But watching them come out of that, uh, the back to school thing, it's been a little bit of a, huh. hmm. now it still requires money. So the the whole spending cycle around back to school, and then do you, I mean, do you remember all the checks you had to write? You had to write checks for this club and that club and this participation fee and that and the parent club and the boosters club and the ma 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 ma. Yeah, is that still there? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. It's like just running around with fun coupons. You're just like you yeah, feel yeah. like you're at a gangster, you know. Are you actually writing party. checks or is this like Venmo, Apple Pay? Now? Well, now now it is. Okay. Now it is. I I would say in the last year, since well, where are we at now? Coming up on September. So since like last October, since my 25th anniversary and you, you know, twisting my arm into going out and celebrating and having- Oh, that was my fault. <laughs> it's all your fault. I see. We've, um, we've definitely let a little bit of the financial sobriety hair down in our family and, uh, and found ourselves uh, swiping the credit card a little more than we had in years past. Good news is we've caught it. We caught the virus as it was starting to creep back into our lives. This maybe a little bit of FOMO, maybe a little bit of, you know, I want, 
but when I think of everything we've swiped the credit card for, it's kind of been for some really important stuff. Well, I was going to say, I mean, are these conscious choices or unconscious, mindless swiping? There was a little bit. I mean, if, if I'm going to look at it completely truthfully, there was a little bit of unconscious swiping. 1%, 5%, 10%? 10%. 10%. 10%. So not the I worst. Don't, I don't think that, I mean, that's still a, that's still an A minus B plus. Yeah. I mean, it's not the, for, again, for the guy who wrote the book, Financial Sobriety. Yeah. This guy. Yeah. The train wreck relationship that I've had with money at times in my life. If we're going to call this a relapse year, then it was a minor relapse year. Mm. Very minor. But I would, I would argue it wasn't. It wasn't a relapse year. No. Okay. All right. I appreciate Because that. based on how you've described the expenses to me, those were all conscious choices. Yeah. They were just big expenses that kind of all hit over the course of a year. And they were kind of— And who's, who's one of our favorite subject, teachers on the subject of uh, investments versus expenses? Who's one of our favorite teachers on mm -hmm. that? Mr. Dan Sullivan. Oh, yes. Right? So there are times in credit card land, right? Yeah. Where I don't think it is—one thing that I think is too often taught Oh, yeah. is the belief that all credit card debt is bad. Right. Debt is bad. If you owe, it's bad. All credit card debt is bad. Credit card debt. I'm just picking this apart yeah, for yeah. a second. Yeah, yeah, Because the concept of an expense versus an investment mm. are big things. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, there, so there is traditional money show people. In fact, without naming names, probably the most widely listened to talking head in the money world today. Well, let me just kind of tell you that, you know, debt is evil. Exactly. I mean, does do I sound anything like him? You a little bit. That's you should go do some impressions on Instagram. That's Excellent. very good. He, Hi ho, Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> I love it. My point is that there are times when, sure, a frivolous swipe is a, is an unnecessary expense. Right. Right. But as I believe I said to you, when you were having your twenty fifth wedding anniversary, is I don't know how many more of those are you going to have? Uh, ideally, none. Right. So sometimes there are cash flow timing, right? Because do you have the cash flow to pay these debts? Yes. Yes. So to me, it's a mindset thing that I think some people have to get their head around, that not every expense on a credit card is a bad expense. It's an, it could be an investment. I think it's an investment. It's, it was an investment in your marriage. It didn't happen to line up with the timing of cash flow. Right. But you have the cash flow now to take care of it. Right. And does it come at a cost with the credit card expense? Yeah, it does. Right. It does. Right. But I don't like the belief that every single thing that I put on the credit card is bad. I just don't. Right. Because I've had credit card debt in my life, and I've had it multiple times in my life, and I've had it for periods in my life. But I was either investing in a business or I was investing in my family. Mm -hmm. And... Damn it, I wouldn't do any of it differently looking back on it because how, how many times do I get to make those kinds of investments in my business or my family? Sure. Right? Sure. So I have a hard time with the blanket statement that credit card debt is bad. That helps because I, you and I have been hanging out for a long time and you know how quickly I can go down the road of kicking my own ass. You're there already. I can yeah. feel it. Yeah. You're, you're, down the, you're down the, you're down the, get out of there. Well, yeah, it. We went through a period of time where, I mean, it wasn't so much, the anniversary was wonderful. We, we went to Carmel. We spent a beautiful four days together. We've talked about it on the show. What was challenging is what immediately followed that. Sure. 
you know, the dog went into heart failure. That was quite the vet bill. Yes. The car needed new brakes. Yes. And new tires. Yes. Then the other car needed fill in the blank. Right. And the kid moved out and needed a little help that we chose to. Yeah, voluntary. Help him with. Yes. And some stuff in the house and just a number of these expenses. Planned obsolescence. Yes. Things, things now have much shorter shelf lives than they used to. Yes. So, yes, these were expenses. And then I did upgrade the wardrobe a little bit. I was told that... That, too, is an investment. It is, because when I look good, I feel good. I, You know, it, you've always said we got we to gotta protect the confidence. Again. Right? Again. Straight out of the Dan Sullivan playbook. So... I love it. I mean, I just... We got to have him on the show. It's just driving <laughs> me crazy. We talk about him all the time. Pick up the phone, call him, and let's invite exactly. him on the show. Let's talk about that, because when you talk about the, the credit card mm-hmm. debt, mm-hmm. it is kryptonite. I can oh. see it in your physicality. Well, you, you erode talking about it. There's a headline that's been just eating at me. Well, I know. That is why we're having this conversation about credit card debt today. I, I know. It triggered me. You're not part of that. I know, but I feel like I created it. Oh. A top news story of the week. Credit card debt in the United States hits $1 trillion. Dollars. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. That's all because of me. I did that single-handedly. One trillion dollars. One trillion dollars. And mm. I want to get this right. Just to give you an idea of how big that number is. I should invest in the credit card companies like MasterCard <laughs> and Visa. And yeah, that, I mean, it's, a, it's an incomprehensible number. Incomprehensible. And yet... So I wonder, is that... Is that, <laughs> is that it's all because of me. Spending... Or is that the ballooning of the of the non-payments, right? And just the minimum payments, and then they balloon, and you buy some more, and it balloons, and blah 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 blah. I'm just, I, I, we don't have the answer to that. But well, all we have is our own field testing, right? Is our own experiences. So I, you know, I one of those expenses was a little bit of upgrading some of the wardrobe because I wasn't keeping it fresh. Walking around our local Westfield Galleria Mall here in Roseville, California. Well, one of the things that I noticed. You went to the mall? I went to the mall. Wow. I went to the mall. You know, the mall is not a dying animal. Like It is. Many, not around here. Huh. I read an article recently online in Wall Street Journal that said the same thing, that although we expected, you know, online shopping to destroy the physical mall, that's not happening. Hmm. High-end malls are increasing around the country right now. Hmm. Uh, people seem to want to go out and touch things and feel things and well, try I, things I, on. It's, I it's get an experience. it. I, I believe it. I don't know how I'm supposed to go buy clothes and just have them all sent to the house and then schlep them back and send for the just anyway. I so you went to the mall. I, and a couple of years ago, one thing I noticed, I mean, I'm just an old-fashioned mall rat. I like to go walk around the mall. It just We live in a place where it's really, really hot, and sometimes I don't want to spend the money on air conditioning. So what do we do? We go walk the mall, especially now that we have a food court in our mall. I noticed a few years ago how many people walking around the mall not carrying packages. Recently, I'm noticing a lot more people walking around the mall carrying packages. Ah. So how about how about your recent escapade to Atlanta? Holy cow. I had one of those too. I wish I had the picture to show everybody yeah. here on the show. Yeah. But the TSA pre-line with the clear and the, you know, mm-hmm. where there's supposed to be two people online in the airport was a 30-minute wait. Yeah. Packed. Packed, the busiest airport in the world in Atlanta. Packed. I was redirected to Atlanta with a canceled flight to JFK in July on my way to Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Redirected to Atlanta. Got into Atlanta later than expected, but it was like 10 p.m. Sunday night, 10 p.m., 
and you would have thought either a rock concert was starting or had just finished with the volume of people that were moving wow. in the airport. Wow. Unfortunately, Sunday night at 10 o'clock in this post-COVID world, everything's closed, mm. right? You got a trillion people that are trying to get, you know, three-day-old sandwiches out of the uh, mm. the mini-marts mm. in the airports. Delicious. But it's just everywhere we're going, right? Yeah. Whether it be the mall, whether it be the airport, restaurants are just, well, I mean, we've packed. 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 Like, like it's giveaway day. Yeah. I'm always making the same joke, but it's like, honestly, it's... Free pizza day at Zachary's Pizza. Only it's not free. It's 30% more than it cost a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, and so this is where, again, just our little scientific observation of you and me out there kind of on People are spending. On behalf of the financial sobriety tribe, you and I out there on the front edges uh, observing life and then coming back here in studio and reporting to our people what we're experiencing and seeing. I think it's both. Because my own personal experience is I've racked up a little bit of credit card debt investing in necessities as well as a tiny little bit of mindless spend. But on the other hand, where I think part of this trillion dollars in credit card debt, I think there are people out there who have, are, are using it as necessities and it is investing in some part. But I also believe they're spending. We've got a very good friend who is somewhat part of the production team of this show who helps us with getting the show up on YouTube who has pivoted some of his business towards taking advantage of some of the spending that's going on in our country with how he's kind of reselling different items through a big online retailer. Got it. Because of people's desire to just simply swipe and spend. And I want it now. And I want it now. Yes. Right? I mean, I just, I can't, I can't not bring up my whole DoorDash generation and sure. the mindless spending with... And I'm picking on DoorDash because it's just, you know, I want it and I want it now and it doesn't matter what it costs. And I watch. I'm so angry with companies like DoorDash. I, I watch, get it. They fill a need, but yeah, oh my God. Well, and people are willing to pay for it. But but when that becomes the default, right, is ordering it through DoorDash, Uber Eats, whoever we want to pick on, right? I, I, I'm speechless because the the additional cost of it. And sure, somebody could say, well, my time is valuable. Well, how many high wage earners are there in this slice of the demographics that are using these services, right? Like it's, I was, we were, where were we getting ice cream? We were getting ice cream at San Francisco Creamery on Saturday night. We went out to dinner with friends. They said, Hey, let's go get some ice cream. We go get some ice cream. And there were two door dashers in front of us picking up orders to go. And I was like, Ice cream? How do you how do you how do you do that? I bet you Frank Sinatra was the one ordering that because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna mess with you a little bit. Frank Sinatra doesn't move pianos. Okay, that's completely out of left field. Right. I mean, you and I would know what it's about, but how is that? I don't understand. Well, I mean, maybe some of these people are ordering DoorDash because they don't cook their own food anymore. One percent? Maybe. But I mean, our issue with DoorDash is that. Maybe there people are people who, who, who shouldn't, shouldn't be. be, right, who should be moving that's their gotta own be pianos. The vast, that's got to be way past it the vast majority. Be. It has to be. Has to be. And so we get to a point where that becomes not the exception to the rule, but the standard. Right. It seems like as a society, we're all trying to live like Frank Sinatra, who doesn't have to move pianos, right? Because he's the very best. And you, yeah. right, I mean, you and I have been taught this story through Dan Sullivan on this idea of, you know, seeking our own unique ability and putting all of our time and energy into it and trying to delegate everything that's not our unique ability to other people, right? 
and you and I have been working very, very hard towards doing that for ourselves. And it's a it's a it's a progressive. Yes. Right. And a lot of that is based on modeling what some of the very best in the world, uh, how they live their lives. Right. The best in in every different category of business, and, and, sports, entertainment. And may I say that's a privilege, not a right. Bingo. And what we're starting to see is because of this mass media machine that puts all of these lifestyles yeah. up on the pedestal. I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm, I'm entitled to it. Yes. Yes. And so I do believe a big slug of the trillion dollars in credit card debt comes from that. People trying to live a lifestyle they haven't earned. People trying to live a lifestyle. I think some of it is also the boomerang after COVID. Oh, yeah. Like, screw it. I'm going to live life. Mm. I'm going to travel. I'm going to eat out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Right? Now, there's going to be a bill to pay. Yeah. And that bill to pay is going to be pretty significant. Well, there's I mean, there's consequences and bills coming soon. And that's why we're talking about this. There's been a lot written about this kind of perfect storm that's brewing with student loan debt about to go back into repayment mode. Yeah. Right? The whole punting of repaying student loan yeah. debt. You ready? You ready for what that number is? Fire away. That's almost two times the credit card debt. 1.8 trillion in student loan debt. 1.8 trillion in student loan debt. So rounding error, let's call it $2 trillion. Well, by, by next Thursday, it will be. <laughs> right? Right. So we have student loan debt that the Supreme Court struck down and said, no, if you borrowed this money, you're going to pay it back. Thank God. And now, well, because if you borrowed it and you don't pay it back, who pays it back? Mm -hmm. You and me who didn't borrow it. Mm -hmm. Boy, that just doesn't sound right that to doesn't, me. That doesn't sit well with me. I mean, I get it. We got a problem in our country with how much college costs. But if you signed on the dotted line for a loan. That's your liability, I'm bud. I'm sorry. That's, your, that's yours. You get it. That's yours. No different than the credit card. Yes. I, you and I don't often bring politics into this studio, and I don't see that as a political thing. I just see that as a moral thing. You signed on the dotted line. That's your debt. You got to deal with it. 100%. Yes. Yes. So we've got this perfect storm of that starting again and a trillion dollars of credit card debt that also needs to get paid. Three trillion dollars well the good in uncollateralized debt yeah the, what, what do we mean by that the good news before we get into the collateralized uh, lesson <laughs> is at least interest rates aren't very high mm. right they've only gone up 10 times in the last uh 11 times in the last year and change highest they've been in 40 years 20 20 years two, 22 believe. years for the for the people that are dealing with this stuff yeah so what right is, for the old for the old timers that are out there that remember you know, mortgage loans. I was I was talking with my own land, my old landlord, my first landlord, mm. uh, when we started Gebhardt Group, and he built his house in 1984 in Danville, California, and his construction loan was 18 percent. Wow, the cost of his construction loan was 18 percent. Mm -hmm. So and then his his mortgage, when he all buttoned up, was 14 percent. So if he borrowed a hundred thousand dollars to build the house. The cost of borrowing that hundred grand was eighteen thousand dollars. Yes, sir. Holy cow! Right. So he can remember when interest rates were mucho higher than they are today. Yeah. Right. Most of our listeners cannot. So today's, in, I I did see something that average thirty year mortgage 
uh, top 7%, highest right. it's been, 7.09%. And when we first started buying houses in 98, that's what our mortgage was. So for our Bay Area people who can barely buy anything that resembles a house for a million dollars, to borrow a million dollars at today's interest rates is going to cost you $70,000 a year. Very good. And you're not even paying back any of the loan. That's just the cost. Yeah. Of borrowing somebody else's money. 100%. Wow. Wow. So crazy time. So all this debt. All right? this debt, $3 trillion of debt at costs higher more. rates of interest than anyone's familiar with. So it's just, it's, it's quite a soup. I mean, the soup is getting pretty messy. But doesn't seem to be affecting the old spending. Airports, restaurant. Hey, how was it? How was the baseball game? Was it was a state? And there must have been. There was nobody there, right? Oh, it was. Uh, it was a lovely little trip to Atlanta to watch some baseball last weekend. And Truist Park was sold out two of days in a row. Of course, it was thirty some odd thousand people. Because professional sporting events are really affordable. <laughs> They're very affordable. Upper deckers were in the fifties, so less expensive than our our Bay Area tickets. Bay Area tickets on a mem on a game could well, be could be 20 bucks. Right. On a meme game. But you bring the Dodgers to town. Oh, that then you're going to pay. You're going to pay. Right. Yeah. This a, a family of four going to the baseball game, parking the car, getting four hot dogs and four Diet Cokes. No souvenirs. Is probably a $500 day. Yeah. That's why I don't do it. In the nosebleeds. That's why I don't do it. And the stadium was packed. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're continuing to spend. The consumer is, uh, I won't say healthy, but active. Yes. It scares the crap out of me. Yeah. You and I, boy, uh, this goes back to my gratitude. You and I, because of the careers we've chosen, because of the private clients we get to work with and the work we get to do every day, you and I know what it takes to be able to get to a point in life where if we choose not to go to work one day, we know how much money we need to have set aside combined with the social security benefits we might get. We'll get them. We'll get them. But there might be a little less. There might be lesser. I've really kind of ignored that and just believed that maybe our government is going to figure out how to solve the social security shortfall. I'm losing faith that that's actually going to happen. Another conversation we need to have. Well, two-thirds of Americans are going to rely solely on Social Security. That's what scares the crap out of me. Two-thirds? At least. I was going to say. At least. That would be amazing if a third of America had enough that Social Security was a nice afterthought. I'm going to go with... You're going to take the over. Uh, I'm going to go with closer to 90%. It's... Yeah. I mean, it, and, and again, these are all statistics we could probably be fact-checked on, but is it the top 10%? So the concept of retirement planning you're saying is a luxury. Well, what I'm, yeah, I mean, when you think about what retirement was a couple generations ago, people Well, you worked, had a, first of all, you had a pension. Well, so people worked for 30 or 40 years. They gave their blood, sweat, and tears, and when they were done and physically unable to continue working or desire to work somewhere in their 60s or early 70s, they retired, and the company gave them a nice little retirement income as a parting gift. And they were dead by? 78. No. No. 74. 
70. Okay. So retire at 65. It was a very short window. Five years worth of income, a few rounds of golf. <laughs> Things have changed. Third Pe nap. People are living longer. <laughs> and then this lovely little concept called ERISA. Gesundheit. You're welcome. In the early 70s, corporate America kind of woke up to this idea that, wait a minute, it's really expensive to pay for everybody's retirement. And we could make so much more money if we shift the burden of retirement from our shoulders to the employee. Let's encourage the employee to start saving but we did for a, their own retirement. But we did a really nice job over the last 50 years of training and educating and reinforcing the importance of that at the individual level. I sense I mean, a little sarcasm there. Oh, yeah. Just, just, a, just a snitch. Have we, ever, have we ever talked about that on just the show? The lack of snitch. So we've transferred the entire burden of funding retirement. You got it, buddy. Hey, good luck to you. <sighs> Go get them. Thank God everybody chose the financial planning profession like you and I did. Mm. Well, as I have said both on this show and with clients, that I think that traditional concept of retirement, going back a couple generations of there is an extended period of no work, is going to be a little bit like being able to afford fresh seafood in the future. Do you ever go out to dinner and order fish? Only when I'm in a sushi place and it's raw. For some reason, I can't eat fish cooked, only right. raw. So have you noticed the price of oh, that stuff? Red tuna? Or when you go into the market, if you can get it, you go into the market and the price of fish to me is just like through the roof. And yeah, they talk about, you know, the overfishing of the oceans and all this, but I'm not, I'm not really going down that route. I'm going down the route of affordability, right? And we're not entitled to fresh seafood. No, no different than are we entitled to retirement in the period, in the context of a, a, an extended period of 10, 20, 30, 40 years with sure. no work, no income, no nothing. Well, now, guys like you and me, yeah. I don't know if we ever retire in the conventional in sense. In the conventional sense. Right. We've always picked on your dad yeah. as being retired. Right. And Hank would say, you know, ain't no way, pal. Right. I'm, I'm, still, still, I'm 78 years old, I'm still, knocking 60 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. And clocking in more than, than most. But that's a choice. Great. Yeah. But that's a choice. Right. Hank could retire tomorrow. Play shuffleboard, right? Whatever, but he does that. He doesn't choose no. that. My father didn't retire till he was seventy-nine. Right. Again, that was a choice. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the, you know, the, the the big issues that we talk about in our private practice is the one that nobody wants to talk about in public, which is what what are we going to do as a society when people still need to be working in their seventies or eighties or eighties? You and I have done, I think, a brilliant job at redefining for the tribe what retirement really is now, right? Yes, it is a luxury, not a right. It's a privilege. It's something you will have earned because it's not necessarily about nothing. It's about crossing a threshold from I have to to I want to, right? It's having the freedom to choose whether or not I get up and go to work today, right? And that was a choice that luckily Hank and Jill have made. And my dad chooses to go to work every day because of how much he values having an impact in his community. Well, the other thing, if we're going to pick on uh, two of my favorite people, the, the other thing that Hank and Jill have done for a very long time is they've sacrificed. And saved. And saved. Yes. So and even though they may have wanted the blankety blank back in 1972, they had a couple snot-nosed kids running around mm -hmm. and they sacrificed. Mm -hmm. And they saved, and they sacrificed, and they saved. And one of my big, mm -hmm. 
one of my big soapbox issues with this whole door DoorDash generation is where is the sacrifice? Sacrifice? I need it now. There is no sacrifice. At and any, I need it now. At any price, right? right? So that's the direct conflict that I think exists with this whole concept of, you know, whatever you want to call it, financial preparedness, retirement, is there has to be some sacrifice. I have to be able to say no. I mean, put it in food, right? If I eat shit all day and I do that for an extended period of time, my health is going to, to suffer the consequence, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's no sacrifice, right? right? Because, well, okay, yeah, green beans don't taste as good as ice cream. <laughs> well, unless you fry them and put a lot of salt and butter in them, then we're getting, we're getting there. Right. Yeah. So that's part of what I, I can't even begin to stress enough to, to our tribe and our audience is this concept of, of financial sacrifice and having to say no to the Air Jordans if you can't afford them. It goes to something you've shared with me over and over back in my own getting comfortable with my financial sobriety journey. And that's the two pains in this world that we all get to experience. The pain of discipline, the pain of regret, knowing that we can only avoid one of those pains. Lucky for you and me, not only have we chosen a career in financial planning, but you and I have also both experienced enough financial pain of regret. Oh yeah. That the pain of discipline is a little bit easier. We've firsthand experienced not only our own pain of regret, but the pain of regret of others, clients of ours. Sure. Who didn't we get have all those, enough. We get all those lessons as a little side dish. Right? Who didn't save enough because of the lack of pain of discipline, the lack of sacrifice, the desire to have it all now. And what does that mean for retirement? We've seen it like right in front of our own eyes. What happens when you're in your mid-70s? with virtually no retirement savings, a mortgage on a house, a car payment, and now your body's starting to go into decline and you need medication that your health insurance doesn't cover. You need insulin for your diabetes that's gonna cost you $1,000 a month and you're living on social security and you have nowhere else to go, what do you do? And your children, holy cow, your adult children, they're barely scraping by because they're renting a house on the other side of town. They have never had the pain of discipline to save the money to buy the house. Boy, this is such a happy show. Oh, it's scary stuff out there. It can be. It absolutely can be. But we all. But the, the, the one thing I think that we all have to be reminded of is the fact that we have choice and control over this. Yes, yes. We have the choice to be able to say what is a complete sentence. No. No, no we can't afford to do this. No. We're not going to do that right now. No, I need to save money for retirement. I need to save money for my rainy day fund. Yeah. Average American doesn't have $600 in their savings account for yep. a home repair. Yep. Come on. I mean, the ability, the, 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 that whole concept that you've talked about so much on the show with the whole keeping up with the Joneses, you've got to develop that, that discipline muscle that we have to work on is the ability to say no. Well, that's what I think the the basis for so much of this trouble we're in as a society right now comes from. It comes back to these three very complicated relationships we all have, right? We've talked about these. This is the, the, the essence of our show. With your bank, your mother-in-law, and your employer? Close. Oh. Th those all fall under the relationship with people. Oh, okay. Right? 
you've got this very complicated relationship with your people, with yourself, and with your money. And this idea of comparison, I think, is what's driving. I mean, this this headline. The basis of all unhappiness. Poof, is comparison. And so part of the solution, which, I mean, we're not just here to talk about the problems. We're also here to start talking about solution, which we're going to get into in the next episode. I mean, this trillion-dollar debt that hit the headlines triggered me in a way that kind of really brought me back to my own PTSD with money. Yeah. And my own spending and questioning my own spending and really feeling a need, hey, we got to get in studio. We got to talk about this because it's a problem. And and I think we have potentially the solution for those who are willing to apply a little bit of that pain of discipline. And it really starts with understanding that relationship with self and, you know, what's really critical and important to you as a human being. What do you value most at your core and, and what's it, the void you're trying to fill? Yes. What's the, the, that hole in your soul that you're trying to fill that I did with spending money and drinking and all that crazy shit that I was, you know, for years. And then you look at that relationship with the people in your life and ask yourself that question. Are, are you trying to impress people you're never really going to spend time with or want to be with for the sake of your own peace of mind? And the relationship with your money and how, I mean, it's this whole kind of- It's a soup. It's a soup that when you put it all together, we got a trillion dollars of debt we got to deal with. I, so, I think one of the simplest ways to do it is it starts with no. You just did it the other day. I'm not I'm not even sure you, you remember. Hmm. But after your baseball game, you were telling me that you and Chris were, mm-hmm. were hungry and wanted to get a steak. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. <laughs> This is a big deal. This is what people need to do. Yeah. Is you were hungry, you wanted a steak. There was a steakhouse right outside the gates of Truist Park. Okay. Beautiful steakhouse. I don't remember the name. Doesn't so matter. I can't give it was credit. beautiful. It was beautiful. I looked at Chris. Chris looked at me. I said, let's go get a steak. Good idea. Let's go get a steak. We walk in. Now we're going to go back to the hotel and shower and change first, then we'll come back later. But let's go look at the menu. The cheapest steak on the menu was $95. Chris and I looked at each other. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. But uh, Cobb is the name of the community, 20 miles outside of Atlanta by the ballpark. Sure. This like this area made Wrigleyville look tiny. This sure. is like massive. Right. They do everything big in Georgia, I guess. So $95 for the steak. I'm sure you get some nice sides with that. Uh, each side was at least $26. Oh, my God. So I'm as we're looking at the menu, I'm just I'm adding this up very, very quickly. And for Chris and me to dine not including booze, was probably going to be three to 400 bucks. Oh, yeah. Easy. Easy. Without booze, without dessert. That's you steaks, a couple it, sides, a salad, and maybe a nice little gratuity. You're on a little vacation. You deserve it. And for a minute there, we did. And then we looked at each other and smiled. No words needed to be exchanged. And we wound up somewhere else. Yeah. Where we had See, just t- as enjoyable of a meal for a fraction of the price. That to me is the essence of what we're talking about. Yeah. Is it's the same story I've told so many times about what I like a Bentley. You bet your ass I would. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't give me the right to walk into the dealership and, and have some $3,000 a month car lease just because I want one. Right. You have to have the discipline to know, no, no. I mean, we've had the conversation with our kids on, on, you know, private universities. Yeesh. So far, it's been no. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. 
Did you know the average price of a new car in the United States today is $48,000? Wow. Do you know what that comes out to on a lease payment if you put no money down on a three-year lease? That's like seven, eight hundred. That's a $750 a month lease payment is average. Wow. In the United States today, average. I'm not, I'm not doing my part then. <laughs> well, <laughs> where, where we may have done it on the uh, the kiddos, we need to be in a bump up. Our, you know, we've got rookie numbers on our I cars. Mean, you and I are legendary former car leasers who now happen to own used cars that we have paid for. Right. But holy cow. Wow. Yeah. Let's share one more little statistic. If you think about what it takes to retire comfortably for every Thirty-five to forty thousand dollars of income that you would like to have in retirement. I have to buy five lottery tickets. In addition to buying five lottery tickets, take a guess at how much you need to save to generate thirty-five to forty thousand dollars. So let's call it three thousand dollars a month. You want three thousand dollars a I'm month? Feeling the pressure of this? Yeah, well, I know you know the math. I unfortunately know the math. Yeah. So it has a couple commas in it. For every $3,000 a month you want to have in retirement income that pretty much is assured to last the rest of your life without running out, how much money do you need to have saved for every three grand a month? $1 million. Bingo, Bob. $1 million. So think about it. If you make 100 grand, if you make 150 grand, and you are consuming that entire income today with no saving, and it is your expectation and hope that one day you'll be able to retire on a similar cash flow. Start saving now. That's a, let's call it a $10,000 a month lifestyle after taxes is somewhere between three to $4 million yeah. saved. Yeah, well, big, big number. Some of it, God bless, can be offset. Can be offset by Social Security. Or you can go work for the state and maybe get a little pension. Or a pension. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is this is this is what we're talking about. This yeah. is a, a monumental project. And regardless of wherever you are in life age-wise, yes. if you haven't started saving, start today. If the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, the next best time is today. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. So I'm really excited because if you're ready and you wanna and you're willing, then we've got the answers. We've got the ways. We've got the solutions. That's what's coming up on the next episode of Financial Sobriety. And with that, my brother, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. 
To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.